Well, this morning marks the beginning of a new year of sorts. It's not like January the 1st, the beginning of this year six months ago. It's not a time that we're going to be making a lot of New Year's resolutions. Though after all this time of being quarantined and having to stay home, I have an idea it probably wouldn't hurt us to make a resolution to drop a few pounds after all that. But we're not going to be making a lot of New Year's resolutions. But this is the beginning of the second half of 2020. And our prayer is that the last half of this year, July through December, does not hold for us the surprises that the first half of this year held in store for us. We have endured the COVID-19 pandemic, and we are still navigating those deep waters. For two months as a church, we were forced to meet in multiple small groups for worship. We only started meeting again on Wednesday night on June the 10th. As we announced a few moments ago, we're planning to begin Sunday morning Bible classes again next Lord's Day. When we will resume having our Sunday afternoon class, well, that's still a question mark. That's still a date to be determined. But we are tentatively planning to have our annual Friends and Family Day on Sunday, September the 13th. But here's the thing. Regardless of what's gone on the first six months of this year, or regardless of what has gone on in prior years, we cannot dwell on, nor can we live in, the past. Do you remember the name, or do you recognize the name of Satchel Page? Well, you know, some people are a legend in their own mind. Satchel Paige was a legend in his own time as a baseball player. The best estimates are that Satchel Paige was born in 1905. And he pitched his last major league game in 1965. That means the last time Satchel Paige got on the mound of a major league baseball Part to pitch, he was 60 years old. Now, by some standards, that's old. By the standards of the majority of us in this room, he was a very young man, wasn't he? In that game, at age 60, he pitched three shutout innings for the Kansas City Athletics. Before Satchel Paige became a pitcher in Major League Baseball, he pitched in what was then known in the 1930s. He pitched for 22 years in what was known as the old Negro Leagues of Baseball. 
That was before he broke into the major leagues. And when he broke into Major League Baseball, he first pitched for the Cleveland Indians. But, as remarkable as his athleticism was, as remarkable as his prowess was on the baseball diamond, his witticisms and his quotes were as legendary as his athletics were. He said one time, avoid fried foods, they anger up the blood. Another time he said, age is a matter of, is, is, is a thing of mind over matter. If you don't mind, it doesn't matter. But I guess one of the most famous quotes that is attributed to Satchel Paige was when he says, don't look back. Something might be gaining on you. Well, in our text for this morning, Jesus gives us the same advice as that. Jesus tells us not to look back. Because in Luke chapter 9 and verse 62, Jesus says, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. You see, folks, looking back hinders our forward progress. You have no way to see where it is you're going if you're always looking to see where you've been. It's kind of like little Johnny was in Sunday school class. You know, Johnny's always the bad boy in Sunday school. And little Johnny was in Sunday school class and the, the teacher was teaching the story of, of Lot and, and Lot having to leave the city of Sodom. And God said, now, when you leave Sodom, don't you look back. But his wife looked back and turned into a pillar of salt. And when the teacher told him about Lot's wife looking back and turning into a pillar of salt, little Johnny raised his hand. The teacher said, yes, Johnny. He said, the other day we were riding along and my mama looked back and turned into a telephone pole. You see, looking back to see where you've been, you can't see where it is you're going. When we look back in our lives, every one of us can look back in our lives and see some things that are unpleasant. We can see some things we really don't want to see again. We may see times of sorrow. And we may see times of defeat. We may see times that we were less than our best. And looking back can often leave us feeling depressed. And looking back can bring defeat into our lives. Just as it brought defeat into the life of Lot's wife. We cannot look back and focus on our failures. We don't want to look back. And there's no need to look back at sins that God has forgiven us. 1 John chapter 1 and verses 7 through 9. 
guarantees us the forgiveness of sins. John writes, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all sin. If any man say he hath no sin, he's a liar and the truth is not in him. Now listen to it. But, but what John? But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, it's hard sometimes for us to remember this. I think sometimes it's hard for us to really believe it. But God really does put our sins away. Sometime, maybe this afternoon, go and look at the 103rd Psalm. And as you look at the 103rd Psalm, focus especially on verse 3, where it says, Who forgiveth all thine iniquities. Not some, not most, not a part. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities. Sometimes, the great tragedy of our lives is, we believe that for others. And we don't believe it for ourselves. But God does put away our sins. Even the most serious of those sins. And we don't want to look back at those. And we don't want to look back at at the past and look at defeats and let those defeats get us down. At some point. At some point, defeat comes into all of our lives. The only person on the top side of God's green earth who is exempt from failure is the person who never attempts anything. And I remember a sign on a real estate office in Denison, Texas. Now bear in mind, my grandfather moved to Denison, Texas to preach in 1966. I was just barely old enough to read. Across from the grocery store where they always traded was a real estate office. There was a motto on the wind, painted on the window of that real estate office that has stuck with me for the last 50 plus years. Pity the man who fearing failure makes no beginning. Think how many aspects of our lives that could apply to. That the fear of failure keeps us from beginning. It could apply to telling others about Jesus Christ. It could apply to inviting others to come to worship with us. It could apply to teaching a class or living the Christian life. But we're afraid of failure, so we make no beginning. We need to understand this about God. God lifts up those who fail. Psalm 37, verses 23 and 24. The steps of a good man 
are ordered by the Lord. And He delighteth in His way. Now listen to it. Though He fall, He shall not be utterly cast down. Why not? For the Lord upholdeth him with His hand. When we stumble, when we fall, when we actually face plant sometimes in our life, we don't need to feel that we are failures. What about when our children were first learning to walk? When they took those first faltering, stumbling steps as babies and held on to something, and they would fall. We would look at them and say, well, you stupid little kid, you should have known better than to try that. No, we don't do that, do we? We help them up and say, you can do it, you can do it. And we, can, we encourage them and we encourage them and we hold out our hands and we encourage those babies to learn to walk. Folks, in that same way. God reaches out His hands to us and when we fall, God lifts us up. And God says, you can do this. You can do it with my help. We don't need to feel like we have failed just because we might fall. We don't need to look at sins that have been forgiven. We don't look, need to look at failures that get us down. And we don't need to look at old conflicts that make us bitter. Because if we rehearse old conflicts and old fusses and old fights and old arguments, guess what's going to happen? That old hurt's going to return. We don't need to rehash old open wounds. Because when we start focusing on old hurts and old slights and old wounds, even those where forgiveness and reconciliation has even taken place, they're going to become dangerous once more if we keep going over them. We've got to forget the past. And we've got to look forward and get on with profitable living. Remember what Peter said in 1 Peter 2 and verse 1? He said for us to lay aside all malice. We can't look back at the past at sins and failures and conflicts. But we also can't look back at the past through rose-colored glasses either. We can't look back to the past and see the past as being better than it was. Now, now I don't think there's any danger of anyone looking over at the last two or three or four months of 2020 and ever thinking about that being the good old days. I don't think that's ever going to happen. But here's what the wise man said in Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 10. Say not thou, what is the cause that the former days were better than these? For thou dost not inquire wisely concerning this. You remember Israel of old? Israel looked back to Egypt. And after they had been led out of Egyptian bondage and they'd safely crossed the Red Sea, they started thinking about what life was like in Egypt. 
And they started thinking about the flesh pots. The abundance of meat. They thought about the leeks and the garlics. And they thought about, oh, our life in Egypt was so wonderful. They forgot the whips and the chains and the taskmasters and the enslavement that God's people had endured at the hands of the Egyptian people. You see, sometimes as we distance ourselves from the past, it lends enchantment to the past. And as we look back at the past, our nature is to forget the bad things. Our nature is to forget the unpleasant things. But write this down. Nostalgia is never completely honest. You know, I I remember fondly as a small boy. Grandmother Perkins' old hand crank ice cream freezer on the back porch. And my job was to sit on top of that freezer and hold it down while Dad and Uncle Bill took turns cranking it. And I remember how good it was to open that up, making sure you don't get any of the salt water in it, and eating that homemade ice cream. But you know what? When I think about all the trouble you have to go to to get the freezer out and you get the ice and you get the rock salt, and then you have to mix up the ice cream and put it in there and then you've got to turn it and turn it and turn it. You can get that stuff for two two half gallons for $10 at Brookshire Brothers and you can get Bluebell homemade vanilla. Why do you want to go hand crank some ice cream? Because quite honestly, to me, as good as that was on that back porch, I'd rather have Bluebell homemade vanilla than I would some I've had to crank. That's what I mean about nostalgia. It's never 100% honest. Now, do I miss those days? Family all together and, and enjoying all that? Sure, I do. But just think, if we could have bought Bluebell instead of Melorine, we'd have just had a lot more time to visit with each other. Vance Havner put it this way. He says the present, listen closely, the present is never as good as it used to be. But a great future beats a great past every time. We can't look back on the past with rose-colored glasses And we can't look back at past victories that make us think we've arrived. Paul wrote in Philippians 3, 13 and 14, he said, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before, I press toward the prize for the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul said, I haven't made it yet. I haven't gained heaven yet. I haven't gained that prize. I count not myself to have apprehended. I haven't gained heaven yet, but here's what I'm going to do. Regardless of the sin in my past, regardless of the victories in my past, regardless of the people I've persecuted, regardless of the churches I've planted, I'm going to forget all that and I'm going to press on. I'm going to reach forward. 
toward the prize for the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We can't look back at the past and say, well, I served the Lord with all my heart once upon a time. Well, I was a soul winner for Jesus once upon a time. Well, I surrendered everything to Jesus once. It's not about what I did once upon a time. It's about what am I doing for the Lord right now. We cannot look back, folks. We've got to look forward. And we've got to look up. We've got to look to Jesus as the author and finisher of our faith. Hebrews 11 is God's hall of fame. It's the people of faith. By faith they did this. By faith they did that. And as he brought that 11th chapter to a close, and he's talked about Abraham and Moses and all of the faithful of heroes of the faith, the Hebrew writer says, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and sin that does so easily beset us, and let's run with patience the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We've got to look to Jesus. We've got to look up. We've got to look forward. Because the best is yet to be. That's what Robert Browning said in that poem, Rabbi Ben-Ezra. I love the Brownings. I love their poetry. Some of the greatest poetry to ever come out of the Victorian era. Robert Browning said in Rabbi Ben-Ezra, Come, grow old along with me. The best is yet to be. We look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And looking to Jesus, the best is yet to be. But for the future to hold the best that it can, Jesus has to be Lord and Master of our lives. And I don't know what's going on with you this morning. But if you need to make changes for Jesus Christ to be Lord and Master of your life, this is your opportunity to do that as we stand together and while we sing.